Welcome back to a new episode. Today we have a long-awaited guest joining us, and it's none other than Matt Yeager. He's done an incredible work around IOTA and the mobility sector, but has lately been moving more into sustainability. So let's get into it. Welcome, Matt. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's been requested quite a lot for to having you on. Yeah, I really love um, how responsive our community is, and, and I've seen a lot of the podcast that you've put out here so i know it's got a, a lot of attention going on internally so I'm, I'm happy to be able to come and contribute to the podcast and, and see what kind of insights i can give to what we're doing at iota yeah definitely mate so i think it's going to be a quite an interesting talk because uh, both we quite a lot of similar interests so before we move on could you tell us a little bit how you ended up in iota yeah, so I've been with IOTA almost since it was uh, initially conceived and built uh, as a nonprofit in 2017. I started talking with uh, Dom and the rest of the team in November to December 2017. Uh, at that point, I was still U.S. government, so I was doing digital forensics for the Department of Defense at that point, um, and I was starting to do internal research into how to change some of the government processes uh, using IoT solutions and blockchain. So I wrote a lot of internal research. Uh, and at that point, I got a internal ethics approval and everything from the government to go ahead and collaborate with the foundation, which was, I think, one of the first times anything like that had been done internally. Uh, and uh, in May, after doing some of my initial research and reports and everything and, and having a lot of discussions with the initial team back then, I decided to make that big jump and come to the foundation. So that was May 2018. Uh, at that point, I came in as a security specialist because I had such a strong cybersecurity and cyber operations and digital forensics background because before the Department of Defense, I was at the NSA for about eight years as well doing cybersecurity and helping uh, with the, the build out of cyber command and a number of other things in, in the federal government space. Um, so I've been with the foundation officially, I guess, since 2018, done security uh, and research engineering at that point, transitioned into public sector focus because of the government background, um, started building out products, helped conceptualize streams and the frameworks, helped write the white paper for identity and build out the team there with Yella, who's doing amazing work, um, transitioned to mobility when Anne left to try to maintain the sector and work with JLR and a number of others. Uh, and at this point, over the last year, I've started to make a formal transition into sustainability as well. So I did help design our DMRV platform, a lot of our sustainability projects uh, and work and our relationships there, as well as our data confidence work with Dell and Intel and a number of others. So I've been a little bit all over the place at the foundation. I'm, I'm kind of that jack of all trades, if you will, but everything I've done seems to have been really impactful uh, and and well received, and I've been I've really enjoyed everything I've been able to do here, and the the flexibility and the amount of uh, like self actualization I guess I, I got to have while working at the IOTA Foundation. Mm. Yeah, because I, I think that you're quite a a, um, a familiar face to the community because you you've been quite a lot around and a public figure, if you will as well as been working on quite like interesting uh, adoptional 
use cases, you know, like Jaguar Land Rover, which is pretty interesting. Uh, but before we move on to that one, um, what is that you are focusing right now that you feel is sustainability? Yeah, well, I, I think too, it's just to highlight something that you said with the public figure perspective, it's been a really interesting adjustment for me because coming from my background, like I didn't have a social media profile. I didn't have a Twitter account. No one knew who I was. No one knew what I did. Um, and coming into the foundation as such an open organization and being able to highlight that and transition has been uh, an adjustment for me personally. So it's been really cool to see how much I've been able to grow uh, and what I've been able to accomplish here. And I think one thing coming from that background is you get to do things that no one else in the world gets to do. And you could do things that have a really intrinsic impact that you see immediately and that have a really big impact. So when I came to the foundation, I think that actually helped guide where I wanted to be internally because I could have gone in a lot of different directions. And I think I've started to become more and more public through the foundation and everything we've been able to do. But now focusing on this field of sustainability takes a lot of what I learned and enjoyed about being US government and working on something highly impactful and then bringing it into the foundation perspective in my role here too. So with sustainability, there's uh, what we've seen over the last you know decades is there's not enough data. We don't really understand 100% what's happening to our planet. We don't understand the impact that we're taking or making on our planet. And we don't understand how to change our current ways of production or development or whatever to be more sustainable and be more positive uh, when it comes to climate and uh, just being socially responsible as individuals and organizations. So from a, a vision perspective, that's really what I've been doing with sustainability is starting to take IOTA and position us in the sustainability space, show what we're capable of, and then show why we're one of the best in the space to build on when it comes to sustainability initiatives. Mm. And you're probably a logical person to have around sustainability coming from the background that you have. Uh, but I can also imagine that it's quite a different world for coming from, from the, for the government into a crypto. And like, I, I don't expect the government to have a spec channel asking for ETAs. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, there definitely weren't spec channels. Uh, we didn't have like internal slacks and discords <laughs> at the agency where we discuss those kind of things. Sounds pretty boring. Imagine working your entire life without being able to press P. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you got to do a lot of exciting stuff operationally, but um, you were very restricted too. So it's definitely been an adjustment, like I was saying earlier because now I just have so much more flexibility uh, than I did then, which is really exciting to me to be able to just like see an opportunity and then go out and capture it and not have as many restrictions on what I can actualize on. Mm. Like how can IOTA help with uh, sustainability? Like what makes it better choice for instead of other cryptos? So with IOTA, um, it was really it, it's interesting because it was really inadvertent or, or like not on purpose in, in the beginning. We wanted to build something that was focused on IoT and the requirements for that required us to build something that was scalable, that was really lightweight, that was really energy efficient uh, and could be integrated into pretty much any piece of hardware that can be made. And over the last four years, we've gotten like, I don't, I can't even calculate how much lighter and more efficient we've 
gotten from back when we had Irie nodes that, you know, weren't just all over the place with their synchronizations and all the issues that they had down to where we are now with Hornet and B and everything with Rust. So our initial concepts aligned really, really well with sustainability requirements too. We just didn't see it in the beginning. Um, and it's also aligned really well for creating this horizontal solution that can go into pretty much any industry and start to create impact because we can do data transactions or we can do value transactions. Um, and we have that kind of flexibility to say, hey, you, you need to verify something, you need proof. We can provide you proof in the data sense and that data can then be uh, the, the action or the event that you need to create a financial model behind it. So having that like programmable money conversation along with the energy efficiency and everything that IOT required positioned us almost perfectly uh, for the sustainability space. Like, isn't it quite, quite a, I can't remember the, the number, uh, but like, wasn't it, you can do like 16 million IOTA transactions for the energy oh, use? Way more than that. Way more. <laughs> way more than that. Wow. Yeah, you can do, um, with the original Christmas benchmarking that we did, last year you can do 20,000 iota transactions for the same energy cost as a k cup of coffee so you know the little keurig cups you put in the machine you pop it down mm. the amount of energy that that machine uses to brew that cup of coffee you can do 20,000 transactions on iota on a heavy setup uh, as i'd like to call it one that you're doing a lot of proof of work locally on a, a, a energy intensive like hardware setup I think the the low number was 600 million transactions uh, for the energy cost of one Bitcoin transaction. If you do an efficient like system design and incorporation, then you can do up to like 2.9 trillion, if if I'm not mistaken. Wow, that is. And <laughs> it's actually about to get a lot higher too with the with the new iteration from what we're seeing. Yeah, because they're coming quite a lot of upgrades to the to the uh, to the ecosystem now. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. we even did some internal like math on compa comparing our post chrysalis like updates to proof of stake systems. And I know like Tezos is one of the ones that's really efficient in the space. And with what we had seen for their energy benchmarking, you could still do over 500,000 IOTA transactions for the same energy cost as one Tezos transaction. So even compared to proof of stake systems, the way that we distribute and decentralize the proof of work to every individual transaction just scales out the efficiency in a different perspective and i'm really excited with the reputation mechanisms and everything we have with mana because i think it's going to just uh, show that distributing the workload to everybody for, for like a collaborative consensus as, as hans and i like to call it um is the most efficient way of doing this mm. but like speaking about like energy and like wasting energy uh, the EU has been talking about banning mining. What's your take on mining and how will that continue down the road? Mining mining is really interesting. So I think one thing that mining has done, and I've seen this conversation in the Bitcoin spaces, is it gives a, a more short-term return on investment for energy infrastructure. So like for sustainable energy infrastructure like solar or wind or geothermal or hydro or what have you, it's really expensive to build out those solutions, uh, but mining helps factor in upfront how you can 
have a return on investment in a very short term while building out sustainable infrastructure solutions. However, I don't think there's a long-term play there as much. Um, so it is extremely energy intensive. It's a huge uh, sap on the processor uh, and like CPU markets as well with the ASICs that need to go into these devices and everything. So there's a, a massive demand from the silicon side of things to create that kind of hardware. And then we we're starting to see the secondary and tertiary effects of that with vehicle prices of used vehicles being 10% greater than they were new because the demand is so high because the supply chains are so constrained with chip supplies. So there's a lot of like secondary or scope two and scope three effects, as they like to say, around mining. I see in the short-term perspective, like how it can be a positive for helping sustainable infrastructure, but I also see how it increases the demand on non-sustainable infrastructure like coal and oil and gas and things of that nature, if it's not built in, in the right way. Mm. But like if the like if the European Union decided to to ban all mining, what would happen then? Wouldn't it be a, a full collapse of the entire crypto market? Um, I don't know if it would be a full collapse, but I think it would. What we would see is essentially the same thing that happened in China, where China banned it, all the miners just moved to the U.S. and the EU and other areas. The same thing would happen if the EU banned it, uh, mm. to where there would be a a, a definite impact on the value um but as the hash rate came back when all the mining organizations started moving to central and south america and africa and other places and building on more sustainable infrastructure the hash rate would come back and the value would come back um mm. but it would definitely be detrimental to like it hitting the goals that a lot of people in those spaces or the bitcoin maxis think that it should be uh, and it would extend that time frame for when it's going to hit those kind of marks uh, from their perspective. Yeah. Do you, do you expect the European Union to actually go forward and ban it? Um, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Like, I don't know if I would ever be a proponent of banning it, but I think everything, innovate, innovation comes at a price. And as long as there's checks and balances in place to say, okay, if you're going to mine, this is, these are our requirements and there's a compliance process here to say, if you're mining, at least it was sustainable infrastructure and we need a way to verify the infrastructure that you're using. So if you, you build out a mining farm, but you also, as part of that project, build out a solar farm to supply the power for it, then that's great. When mining is no longer beneficial, you still have a huge solar farm that can contribute locally and it's already been paid off because of the mining, mm. but it needs to be regulated that if you're going to mine in these areas, this is what's expected of your organization to go ahead and do that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That um, into a probably a difficult question for you, I would imagine, since being part of so much. Uh, like, what is one of the most impressive projects to have you taken part in? Oh man, um, I really love our digital MRV project. Um, I've been working with Climate Check and others on it since 2019 and just the potential that it has is ridiculous honestly like I, I was telling my wife this the other day and she always laughs at me and thinks i'm i'm full of it um <laughs> but i can definitely see dmrv as it continues to grow creating a hundred billion dollars in value on the network over the next like three to five years the potential and the scale that it has and the problems that it's solving are so intrinsic in the industry and across multiple industries 
that once tokenization and liquidity and stuff comes into the solutions that are being built in that space. And, and once we get the agreement and go through this in the process that we are, I definitely see that it could be just a massive asset to one iota, but then also just showing that, you know, DLT in general can be good and it solves real problems that you can't solve with centralized solutions. And it can do something that crypto bros and governments and private sector and NGOs can all say, hey, we see what this does and it's a good thing. Let's all contribute and see it grow. Um, so I think that's probably the most exciting, uh, but then it's also just been really exciting with Alvarium and a number of the mobility projects that we've, I've worked on, um, seeing how they've grown and how their membership has grown under the Linux Foundation and how the, the awareness and the, the demand for them is starting to grow around like cybersecurity solutions and data confidence and all these other kinds of things. So. Mm. And like IOTA is pretty involved with different governments around the world. Uh, do you see them taking it seriously when you bring up the, the climate check and uh, like absolutely. these types of, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the DMRV project is government funded. Um, it's funded by the Canadian government and it's uh, in collaboration with the Chilean government. So essentially what it is, is we have a few facilities in Chile that the Canadian and Chilean governments are partnered on. They're integrating IOTA-based capabilities and now Alvarium-based capabilities into these facilities so that we can have confidence in the data coming out of them. And we're starting to build that from a bottom-up process into carbon markets. And mm -hmm. this solves a big problem for governments because they need some kind of verifiability and transparency in how they can check and you know verify the issuance of carbon credits and compliance. Um, and this is something that with immutability and permissionless ledgers and future layer twos and all these other kind of things, it solves a really big problem from them and it makes it really easy and it really helps alleviate that trust issue. Hmm. And what is it that Intel and Dell is doing for IOTA actually? Because it's, it's been quite a lot of speculation around it. There's been some uh, video meetings we've been able to attend, a couple of blogs, uh, but could you just explain it real quick? Yeah, so the, the Dell and Intel stuff, it started out in 2019, early 2019 as well, uh, where I was talking with the, the office of the CTO of Dell about Edge and IoT solutions. Uh, and they had at that point had their initial pilot or, or MVP of what a data confidence fabric was, but they were doing it with a lot of batching and everything, and it just didn't have the level of granularity that they were looking for. So we started discussing with them the data transaction processes and everything that we can do. Um, and they got really excited about it. So we worked with Dell to essentially like rewrite from scratch their data confidence MVP. And now it's really intrinsically built on the functionalities of IOTA uh, and transactions and annotations and all this kind of data transparency stuff. And now we have gotten to the point where you can quantify the level of confidence you have in data at a transactional level, which changes just every kind of operation when it comes to data and using data as a business, because you can start to evaluate, is this good data? Is this bad data? Is it, is it clean or is it dirty? Um, so the impact that it can have is huge, but it's also a very long-term thing that needs a lot of open collaboration and a lot of agreement. Um, but that has progressed substantially over the last year because the hard part was getting it through getting the MVP to a point where uh, we were all ready to open source it and then getting it under the Linux foundation. So mm. we've got it under the Linux foundation last year. And from that point, the membership has increased. Um, 
So, I mean, we've got ARM and IBM and a number of others that are involved in the Alvarium project and providing feedback. Uh, and so now with Dell, we've started to scope pilots to start to implement it and move it forward. And digital MRV is actually the first one of those. Uh, so it's taking data from these facilities that we have in the Canada and Chile projects, and it's quantifying a confidence level in that data. And then that confidence level is going to essentially say, if it has a 90% confidence in this data because it's all automated, it's coming from sensors, there haven't been any hiccups or flags in the data, et cetera. Uh, it's all secured, encrypted, using proper encryption channels between devices, et cetera, um, has a really high level of confidence. And so that is worth more carbon credits than if it was all manually and put into a spreadsheet or if it was acquired once a year by a guy going down to these facilities and auditing them in person with a clipboard and some paper. Uh, because that would have a much lower level of confidence because there's such a higher margin for human error. So they would get less carbon credits for that as well. Um, so that's gotten a lot of attention internally at Dell. Um, they're going to be making some releases over the coming month uh, that you should see uh, from their official channels. So that's worked out really well. Uh, and there's a lot of of multi-stakeholder partnership discussions that are starting to go as well, which I can't share a lot about, of course, but um, I'm really excited about how data confidence and sustainability have really started to come together and show a solution for an industry problem, but also something where solutions can be built to services and uh, traditional tech companies like Dell see a benefit in actually scaling it out from their perspective too. Mm. Uh, you named a few of them, like, but could you name the ones that are publicly uh, within the Alvarium project? Can you be more explicit on the question? Sorry. Oh, uh, look, is it the, um, is it other than, uh, I know about Linux, uh, Linux Foundation, sorry, uh, IBM, um, Intel, Dell, is there anyone else? Uh, Juniper's involved. We've talked to Google quite a few times about it as well. Um, Zdata is a huge partner for us there. Um, and so Z the, the leadership from Zdata used to work at Dell in the office of the CTO as well. So they're actually working on deploying solutions with us and we're factoring their, their uh, contributions through Alvarium and Linux into the DMRV project too. So we're actually working with Dell. The hardware that we have in the second facility is Dell hardware that Dell contributed to the project. Uh, and then the members that are in Alvarium, specifically Zdata, helped build out the deployment platform so that you can actually create the, the operating system with IOTA and Alvarium built into it. And you can deploy it out to these units in these facilities from the cloud. Um, so there's been a lot of collaboration that started to happen there. And it's it's really helping to see how we can scale out these solutions moving forward too. Mm. Like how, how serious is Project Alvarium? Like I'm guessing it's not like a fun project that Dell does on the weekends. Yeah, no, it, it's it's went from a fun project in 2019 to being a much more serious project. Um, so they're going to be presenting Project Alvarium at the Dell Tech World with, with its own setup and, and a lot of uh, media content that's going around that. And that's going to be in mid-April, I believe, or actually maybe early May. Uh, but they're going to start to release some of that material throughout April, uh, from my understanding, too. So they're they're making a lot of major commitments. And I've talked to... Uh, a lot of leadership from the architecture side, the security side, and the hardware side, cloud services, et cetera, about Alvarium. Uh, so understanding how they can start to implement that into their strategy from from what I've seen. Mm. 
it's pretty cool though that these major companies are actually willing to go public with it mm-hmm. yeah like, absolutely absolutely mm. like but do you expect alvarium to go mainstream yeah yeah without a doubt i i mean i i'm going to make sure that it goes mainstream <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to sustainability projects uh but the thing with alvarium is it's a horizontal solution and it's generalized so like you can have a data confidence fabric for sustainability that says this is what confidence looks like for climate data you can also have a data confidence fabric for supply chains to say like you know bill of ladings and global trade and supply need to verify certain things for them to have confidence in the solution um so uh data confidence can be needs to be uh um, conceptualized on a more detailed and industry specific level to move forward and we're doing really well in sustainability to show the first iteration of that. But I expect over the next year that you're going to start to see it happen in healthcare for HIPAA compliance. You're going to start to see it happen for GDPR compliance and ensuring that your data is protected and that you have the right checks and balances to, to provide input on what others do with your data, uh, as well as mobility supply chains and, and other industries as well. Mm. That fits well with my next question though, because that's, that's a when question, um, like, <laughs> When do you believe such use cases for IOTA will be adopted? Like when we actually see them working on a mainstream level? Well, what do you consider adopted? Like being actually used by like major companies, like worldwide uh, kind of stuff, instead of like a, a test POC in a, cl- a close yeah, place. Yeah, so outside of the pilot phase, but actually in services. Yeah. Um, I would say that I predict Alvarium to be integrated into services. Probably it'll be testing in Q4 this year, but I think early next year we'll start to really see Alvarium starting to scale out into other service areas as well. Nice. That's pretty cool though. I was expecting quite a lot more time than that. Do you like thinking that it's corporate and all that taking a lot of time? I, I don't think it's going to be like fully extended out to the customer bases uh for for clarity there but i think they're going to have initial customers that they're scaling it through uh and it's going to be moving past the pilot phases for sure mm. that's pretty impressive um so the next question uh is a question i think quite a lot of people has been uh, asking me about as well as you of course uh the jaguar land rover which was a pretty exciting news that they were developing a car wallet etc um this is one of the the use cases that I'm most looking forward to since I'm quite of interested in cars. Like, can you tell us what, what it is IOTA and Jaguar Land Rover is working on and where are we today with that? Yeah, so so the Jaguar Land Rover story is really interesting because I think it really highlights um, the benefit of permissionless innovation. When JLR first started, we didn't actively go out to JLR and say, hey, do you want to use IOTA? They actually came to us and said, hey, we built this on IOTA. Can we work with you on it? Um, so that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't know. But uh, Russell Vickers was one of their lead engineers at that point and uh, integrated IOTA wallets into the iPACE. We extended that through the energy traceability pilots in Tron time. And now Russell has moved over to be the CEO of FMCI, which is the Future Mobility Campus in Ireland. Um, so for the relationship with them, part of what's happened is we went through initial like pilot and MVP phases with them internally. They brought it to us up front, up front and said, hey, look what we 
can do. And we were like, this is awesome. We love it. We want to help you with it. And we did. Um, we brought them into the Trondheim stuff. And now FMCI is officially opening up uh, within the last month, I believe. So the Future Mobility Campus in Ireland is going to be a, a regulatory sandbox for the UK to start to see these vehicle to grid and vehicle to infrastructure use cases. Because the one thing with the mobility industry is it is extremely regulated and it getting these kind of innovative pilots out into the next phases and out of pilot phases into like real production use cases. There's a big regulatory wall there that says we need to see a lot of things before you're able to run this on open roads. Um, because I mean, you drive cars and if something that like this goes into a vehicle and creates a vulnerability where you can't control the vehicle you're driving, that's a huge risk. Mm. So the risk is really, really high with mobility solutions going out into full production when they're in vehicles integrated like this. Um, but the innovation is, is definitely really exciting. Uh, so Russell has opened up FMCI. So we're looking to hopefully start public testing uh, in the, the regulatory sandbox there and showing what it looks like in the I-PACE and maybe some other JLR vehicles, which I don't know if I can disclose. So I'm going to go on the side of caution there. Mm. Um, and then from that perspective, I mean, I was with the Jaguar team and some of their board of directors and leadership in Mexico City like a month ago uh, at the Formula E race. So they, I, I flew down there and, and they hosted me at a race, which was really great of them. And I got to go into detail with a lot of their directors and leadership saying, look, this is what we've done before. We know Russell's moved on. Uh, how do we move this forward? And they have already had an internal team that's been developing and working on things. Um, and they did a whole internal restructure now uh, to focus on new goals as, a, as an organization. So that is still moving forward, uh, but it's very much them leading it and us trying to help guide them as much as we can. So they share with us what they're comfortable sharing because they know anything that they share goes public. And they also know the Iona community really loves any kind of new news. Mm -hmm. That's true. <laughs> so, so it goes pretty big, pretty quickly. Um, but the relationships there are really strong. Uh, uh, they also had one of their managing directors here for South by Southwest uh, two weeks ago. And him and I sat down to lunch and went over it to some, some degree there as well. Um, so we still have a lot of plans in the works and hopefully we can start to be more public on that over, uh, over this, this upcoming year. Mm. Uh, we have seen like other types of, uh, mobility, uh, projects like Mobi. Uh, we had a couple others like an Audi working group, if I don't remember correctly. Um, also like BMW has been around the space, but I remember some picture, but that's like years ago now. Do you see an increase uh, from the like the general mobility sector that they are interested in starting using this technology? I think the interest is there, um, but the problem with the mobility industry is it's going through a renaissance in its own right, thanks to electrification. Uh, so all of the funding in the mobility industry is 100% centralized for the most part when it comes to innovation on electrification and sustainability, which if we go back to what I was talking about earlier, sustainability is a really big area for us now. So um, there could be connections that can be made there moving forward. And we've had a lot of sustainability discussions with uh, OEMs, both US, European, and Asian, or I guess not both, but all three, and all three major production areas. Um, so it's interesting. I've seen a lot of testing 
I think the testing's actually decreased pretty substantially over the last year because the goals for electrification and sustainability are becoming much more prominent. Uh, and so the organizations are seeing a lot more pressure to focus their innovation on converting to electrification instead of innovation from the software side. But mm -hmm. we've had a lot of really great discussions on mobility services, mobility data services, enabling services directly from vehicles. I've still had a lot with the infrastructure side of things around how to pay for tolling, parking, EV charging, and then also from the sustainability side on how do you verify battery health? How do you verify uh, the battery state when it comes to a vehicle's end of life and recycling the batteries from an electric vehicle? And then how do you do what we did in Trondheim in Norway uh, with JLR and the iPACE and show uh, the ability to trace energy for sustainable energy uh, traceability and say, I only want to charge my vehicle with energy from sustainable resources and I want the ability to actually see that. So we've had a lot of discussions on that too. But as I was saying earlier, it's a very highly regulated industry and you need the, the right use cases to get through those regulatory hurdles to move into the other kind of things that we all look for from the crypto side with services and payments. Mm. Like, if we just speculate like wild here, um, I would imagine that if a car were to use cryptocurrency for paying for like charging and gas and toll and whatever, parking, I would imagine that that's quite a lot of years down the road before we actually see it's live. Don't you agree? Um, not really. I, I think it can happen faster. You just have to have the right regulatory relationships and you need to have the right innovation environment. So with the city of Austin here, where I'm, where I'm based in Austin, Texas, uh, a lot of what the city is doing is trying to set up and it's, it's been hurdles to get through but they're trying to set up the city as an innovation zone and test cluster for mobility solutions. So if a local city says, hey, we're willing to establish a regulatory sandbox, you can come test token use cases in this area, then that's something that's definitely on the shorter term. I don't think that's three years out. I think that's maybe a year out um, tops. It might be sooner than that, depending on how fast things move. Uh, and But then other things like FMCI, those are areas that are approved now as regulatory sandboxes, and you can start to actually test payments between vehicles and infrastructure directly and start to plan and strategize on scaling that out to production. But you have to have that kind of space where you can bring regulators together and say, look, here's our innovation lab, essentially. This is the impact that it's making. This is the positive side, and this is the negative side, and this is why we want to push it forward. That then informs regulation and allows it to start to scale out the testing and the innovation. Hmm. About the, the Texas Smart City stuff, uh, is there any like updates incoming there? I don't think I've seen anything for a bit. Yeah, yeah, we should have some updates um, hopefully over the next two quarters. We have some projects. So uh, uh, initially, the relationship with the city of Austin was based on a grant opportunity that we were pursuing. Um, and the regulatory hurdles were essentially what came in. The city's really forward leaning on trying to test new use cases, which is really great. Um, but the grant was a federal grant. And so we had to actually get uh, the level of federal understanding and education to a point where things could start to move forward because we were really highly rated. Uh, we submitted a grant for uh, autonomous and connected 
connected vehicles testing and infrastructure with the city. Uh, and it was really highly rated, rated. There were 80 different submissions, and I think we were one of the top six. We were wow. actually technically rated number one, from my understanding. Um, but we weren't issued the grant because they were like, this. we don't 100% understand what's going on here. <laughs> because this, this is a, a little advanced for us to feel comfortable funding. But we see the innovation here, and we understand like how impactful it can be. We just need to learn more about it before we're willing to put forward funding for these kind of projects. Mm. Um, so it, it got us some really good feedback from the federal level in the U.S. So we we do have eyes and 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 you know people paying attention to what we're doing here. Um, and we've talked to a lot of different infrastructure service providers on you know international scales and local scales on that. And so the interest is there. And now it's getting back to the point where people understand it. They've seen the space evolve. They've seen. The foundation and the technology and others in the space professionalized quite a bit over the last two years uh and we, we can start to move forward with those those pilots and going into hopefully production of these uh innovation zones and regulatory sandboxes on a larger scale mm. uh, but within your space like with sustainability what is it that you're looking forward to now that iota is more focused on crypto space than it has been earlier um so the one thing i think i'm really looking forward to with the crypto side is feedback loops, really simply put, uh, because what we're doing, and I don't know if everyone's seen this yet, but we did receive a million dollar grant from google.org, which is the foundation side of Google. Uh, and that's for our collaboration on digital MRV with climate check and now gold standard. Um, so one of the things we're doing with that is we're starting to open up this conversation and we're looking to actually start establishing what does tokenization in the climate sector and sustainability sector look like and what's the right way to do it and what's the wrong way to do it. Uh, because a lot of people are experimenting in this space, but it can be really detrimental to carbon and sustainability markets if it's done the wrong way. Uh, and then we can get regulatory backlash, which is the last thing that we want to see in this space. This is something that needs to innovate quickly to be able to address climate problems that we're seeing on a global scale. Uh, so we need to make sure that we're really addressing these kind of things up front. So I think with the foundation's focus now towards smart contracts and DeFi applications and things like that, it's going to have a really profound impact on sustainability and sustainability assets and ESG investments and things of that nature. Um, so I'm excited to see our ecosystem start to grow and accelerate in that space. And then I'm going to continue to do what I've learned that I'm really good at is get regulators and get NGOs and get private companies at big scales to understand how they can start to work with us to test these things out. And then how they can guide the crypto space to say, this is what we think is the right way and the wrong way, so that we can look at that and say, all right, now we now we know our, our guidelines or um, you know, what our playbook needs to look like. Like, let's go through, build this out and scale it quickly because that's what we're good at. Hmm. Like... Is there any of the partners now waiting for Shimmer and Assembly before they can move on, or is everything still going strong? Um, in the sustainability space, I don't think anybody's waiting. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I, the the understanding of Shimmer is really exciting, and what it's going to be doing, and giving us that kind of like, well, I guess Shimmer in its own way is an innovation zone and a regulatory sandbox, but from the IOTA Foundation and ecosystems perspective. It is that incentivized test net to start to try things out on, see what works, see what doesn't work, and then scale quickly. And that's the same kind of stuff I'm trying to do with regulators in Austin and other areas. 
Um, so I think seeing that and starting to test out what these tokenization frameworks and everything are going to look like on Shimmer is really exciting. And the timing is working out really great for that. Um, but no one's waiting. Uh, and luckily, our strategy and, and the way we've built digital MRV and things in that space has been able to scale based on new capabilities and not be bottlenecked by waiting on new capabilities. Hmm. Like, what field of adoption does IOTA make the biggest progress at the moment? Hmm. I mean, the NFT space is kind of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's been amazing seeing DAOs, open governance, like open regulation start to happen. So I, I think industries like the governance space and the ability to get feedback from an open community and build incentives for an open community with DAOs and things like Soon Labs and the Sooniverse are doing and other guys in the space and other groups in the space. Um, I think that's just moving extremely quickly. Uh, and it's um, even internally, it's hard for us to keep up with how fast y'all y'all are scaling those innovations and and those platforms now. So it's been mm -hmm. really inspiring to see that. And I think it the ability to have that kind of open feedback through DAOs and uh, building out new NFT models and taking NFTs not just from the JPEG perspective, but saying what else can we do with it, and how can we use these intrinsic capabilities of digital identity or streams or what have you to create more robust products and capabilities around NFTs. I, I think that entire space is really exciting uh, mm. because everyone from the outside is like, oh, it's you know, right click save, it's JPEGs that are you know built in and you can verify ownership. But the ability to verify ownership and then do more with that ownership and verify more than just the ownership, maybe around data ownership or other things that get linked to NFTs is something that's going to expand into every industry. So mm. with IOTA and the feeless nature, and then in the future, even with Mana, like as long as you have um, your storage deposit, it's still going to maintain its feeless structure. Uh, you just have to say, hey, I'm an active member of this community. I have this much in my wallet. You can verify it. It's my storage deposit, et cetera. So you still get to, to use that feeless and micro server or micro payment capability that we've always had um, but i think tying that with identity and being able to verify who you are doing voting mechanisms is, is going to just create an amazing amount of tools that aren't just native to iota but that show what iota can do for ethereum and cardano and solana and other ecosystems that don't have those unique functions that we do as a as a protocol yeah and i also saw uh the a new nft project just came now uh Meow Iota, I think. Like the cats, have you seen them? <laughs> yeah, I think I saw that. Was that the one with the ninja cats? <laughs> yeah, like the, I think those are from Solana. So they have moved over to Iota. And that's pretty cool to have like people coming from other ecosystems and trying out Iota. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge barrier for the NFT space right now around like coming into projects. And then that also factors in the sustainability conversation. A lot of There's a lot of artists out there that are really creative, but they care about the environment the the social aspects and like what they believe in it really aligns with the protocol capabilities that we've enabled because they don't want to go and launch on an ethereum or something if there's going to be a really detrimental impact because of the energy used to do it if they can do it on something that's a lot more sustainable then that helps them and it decreases the barrier to entry for artists that care about those kind of things um but it also helps them bring this out to 
other populations because if I've got to go in and pay even like 0.05 ETH, if you live in a developing nation, 0.05 ETH is a lot of money. Mm. And to drop that on minting a JPEG, it kind of excludes you from that ecosystem. Yeah. Like see also like uh, Sabu, uh, the the Lindex guy. I think they are from Avalanche actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we can see like people coming in left and right, which is pretty exciting that finally getting the the attention that it deserves. And yeah. I get approached like twice a day now uh, from different NFT projects that once they shout out, I, w I would love to do it, but like I can't do three NFT project shout outs each day, then we'll lose everyone that's following me. Like there's so many doing like great work, like donating all the profits to Ukraine. They are donating profits to like animal shelter, na nature, like you see the IOTA bots, uh, I think the Suna bots, they are having this green uh, NFT stuff, which is, is going to like buy land and grow threes, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah, they, they have a whole nature side that they're starting to get into as well, which is really interesting to see. So like they're extending those capabilities of the NFTs to say, hey, you're not just buying a JPEG and coming into to a brand. And, you know, this isn't supreme, but for for online digital culture, but it's actually a little bit more than that. Um, and I, I think that's that's a it's a small step in the right direction, but it's it creates really big impacts down the road. Mm, yeah. So, but that was all the questions I had. Is there anything you would like to add? Oh man, I feel like I could talk about IOTA for days. So <laughs> well, I got time. Um, I mean, yeah, I think just to, to kind of summarize everything, I've been all over the place and I know that I've, I've done a lot of different like speaking engagements from, you know, talking to uh, UN ops and presenting at the European Space Agency to doing a number of other like UN organizations or private internal things or uh, things for major universities like Tsinghua University. Uh, I, I presented to like over 250 PhD students there once, which was like kind of crazy for me because a uh, little secret, I dropped out of college. So um, it's kind of fun to have the ability to come out and say these kind of things and, you know, have the technical understanding that I do mm. and create the, the impact and the understanding and see how it's all happening. But the, the space I'm definitely the most excited about is sustainability and connecting different industries. It's not like taking over mobility as an industry that makes us a winner because there's a lot of hurdles and nothing moves as fast in innovation as blockchain does right now. Um, but it's creating things that can benefit any industry uh, and creating tools. You know, when, when the gold rush happened, it wasn't necessarily the people going out from gold that were making the most money. It was the people that were selling the picks and the axes and the equipment to actually get out and get it. Uh, and I think with the foundation, that's one thing we're really starting to understand is sustainability is great. We understand what our protocol does in that space now. We understand how we can connect all these different silos with supply chains and infrastructure and, and really get out into edge environments and, and do things that other protocols just haven't been able to do, at least not that we've seen. Um, and now we want to extend that out to the community and allow y'all to come in and build in these new ways and open it all up. So I, I'm really excited for what we're doing as a foundation and how we're evolving with Shimmer and Assembly and opening up communication and, you know, trying to build new incentives and models for the community to grow and show what they're capable of.
Mm, definitely. Um, so, but thank you so much for joining, Matt. Uh, I really appreciate that you came and explained all this. I think it, it's going to be highly appreciated by everyone that's uh, tuning in. Quite valu valuable information, both about the Alvarium and the sustainability. Jaguar Land Rover, I know it's a hit for everyone. So, yeah. <laughs> I'd also like to echo, too, that just because I'm, I'm not focusing on the mobility space anymore doesn't mean the mobility space isn't moving. We still have a lot of like transportation departments and mobility partners. And it's not just JLR that we've worked with. We've talked to pretty much every major OEM. Some of them are building on their own, but you know they, they move at their own pace and we can only say so much in those instances. So there's a lot of OEMs that understand what iota can do and they're testing it and they're scaling it and it's doing really well in their circles and we're aware of that but they come out and they say what they're doing at their own pace and we can't really hurry them on so mm. don't, while jlr is is definitely the forefront leader and being open to saying hey look what we're doing um it's not just jlr that is building on iota mm, definitely and i can imagine that all these uh, car companies are quite impacted both by first covid uh took them down pretty hard i guess and now the the i mean the work from home transition alone was huge <laughs> yeah and then uh the war is also because like ukraine is like a major um distributor of uh what's it called uh wires and the network of the car or something like that in lithium mm. yeah, so, there's, there's a lot of resources in the mobility industry that come from that area too mm. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see an end to it soon. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, I mean, the just just a caveat on the Ukraine thing. It's been really amazing to see, like we we've never had a war like this in history, and I've I've been involved in one or two, so I, I know some things behind that. But the ability for nations and just individual groups to say, you know what, we want to go and help, and, and I've seen groups of U.S. Special Forces guys and Delta Force guys get together at 50 to 100 people, go to Ukraine and just start helping their government. We've mm. never seen anything like that in history. No, it's, it's, it's very unique, this one. It's incredible to yeah. see the amount of support that has happened openly and publicly and how social media has provided so much transparency around what's happening behind the scenes as well. And just the ability for us regardless of nation or perspective or anything to unify and support people and organizations and countries that need it. Yeah, most definitely. Well, again, Matt, thank you so much for, for attending the podcast. It's been, it's been a joy having uh, an hour to talk to you. Uh, so I hope we were able to, uh, to get you back on uh, after some releases has happened and we need some updates here and there. So hopefully we'll be ab ab able to, uh, to come back. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been really nice to be able to sit here and discuss these things with you and hopefully provide some some transparency on what's happening and build a little excitement because there's, there is a lot of momentum going on uh, that I don't think is seen. So thanks for having me and giving me the opportunity to, to talk on these things. And, you know, hopefully a few months from now, I can come in and talk about a few more exciting things. Yeah, that would be great, mate. Uh, so to everyone you listening, I uh, hope you enjoyed the the podcast with Matt here. And as always, get behind, get left behind. Cheers, guys. <laughs>